The second reading today, uh, I think, is one of the hardest readings to read. Uh, out of even, it's even more difficult than uh, really difficult names that you know are in scripture. And I think that's because the difficult names everybody knows is difficult, right? You're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> how, how do you say that name? I don't know. You know, you don't know. It's it's just it's a name, right? Um, but the second reading today has this phrase that I think Jack did a very good job, uh, but it's very difficult to do because it's a question. It's a question, and we don't get many questions like this, or at least the phrase of it. And so I remember one time when I was a seminarian, and I was helping out in a parish and had a very zealous reader who wanted to... Uh, really read very well and wanted to get the punch of, you know, that this was the Word of God, and so really put it in. But unfortunately, hadn't quite grasped the second reading. And said it, so instead of asking a question, he said, the cup of blessing that we bless, it is not a participation in the blood of Christ. Instead of asking a question, then, and that's a huge difference, right? One is a statement saying, it is not. The other one saying, is it not? Right? St. Paul here is, is asking a rhetorical question. And how we read it makes a huge difference. It kind of tells us a little bit about, you know, and how do we read it? Well, we read it How do we know that it's a rhetorical question? There's no question mark in the Greek. In the Greek, actually, the words aren't even separated. It's all jumbled together, and you have to know the words, and you have to separate them, and and there's no periods or sentences or paragraphs. It's all jumbled together, and it's the English translation in the modern that that kind of pulls it apart, puts puts periods in it, forms it in that, gives us a question mark. But how do we know that it's a question mark? How do we know that this is a rhetorical question? Well, because we see in the early church that this wasn't a question. Of course, the cup of blessing that we bless is a participation in the blood of Christ. Because as Jewish people, their sacrifice, when they participated in eating part of the sacrifice that was offered to the Lord, it was a participation in that sacrifice. It was a participation in the fullness of it. And that the early church celebrated the breaking of the bread, not just as a symbolic remembering, but as a participation in the Last Supper and a participation in the Eucharist. And they wouldn't have explained it the same way, but the tradition, the context, and everything made this a rhetorical question because of what it was. And this... um, shows us, I think in some ways, how important context, tradition, and understanding the Scriptures is. Because even though that we have the words, words, uh, even though that we have the same facts, even the same words, they can, depending on how we phrase it, make a big difference. The, The prime example being you know, are you putting inflection on it to make it a question or are you making it a statement, right? That changes it completely. 
Another, you know, maybe more personal experience that maybe you had as a, as a, as a younger, as a kid is, you know, if your friends ask you, hey, what'd you do last night? And it was a question of inquiry, right? And you were ready to tell them and everything. But if your parent the next day asks you, what did you do last night? Right? Very different type of same exact words, but different context and different type of meaning, right? And we see that uh, happen in one other way that I was actually reflecting on this week as well. Um, we're, we've been getting a lot of statistics more recently, right? About COVID and everything else. Uh, but one thing I've been very much learning is statistics are incredibly important. And the statistics that we have are, are the, the numbers that we have. But statistics can lie, right? And try to influence as much as we want. And, and statistics, they'll tell us something, but we also have to understand that, you know, often it's not exactly or polling numbers, right? How did they phase the question? What question did they put before? What question do they have after, right? A lot of that affects the numbers. And it also is how they present it as well. And I was thinking about the difference of, you know, if there's 85 people um, who have either caught it or passed away, right? Every single death is a tragedy. But whether you phrase it, there's more than 80 people who have died, right? Or do you say, oh, it's less than 90 people who died, right? It's a big difference. And I was just noticing about that for myself, when I hear more than 80, the sky is the limit, right? When I hear less than 90, I think, oh, it's a lot less, right? And, and so it's just interesting how, how we hear it, in what context has it. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying any statement in terms of, you know, um, anything on it. It was just a reflection of myself in the way that phrases are matter. And for us, I think one of the things that we need to do a better job of is to know the context of our beliefs and know the context of Scripture. So this is where I'm driving. I'm not driving anything on, on what, you know, what we should do for COVID or, or all the other things that are going on in the world. I think our primary, exam, primary purpose right here, right now, is to grow closer to God and what He has for us. And what does he have for us? He has a great gift to offer us today. Corpus Christi. A participation in his body and blood. A participation in his sacrifice. And why do we believe this? Well, we have so many different Christian denominations today, especially in America, that it can become really difficult. Especially when it's silly that we all read the same scripture, right? We all read the same New Testament, and yet we interpret it in so many different ways, right? Certainly, uh, as Christians, we hold a lot of the same beliefs. Absolutely. A majority of our beliefs are the same. But there are some distinct differences because of the differences that we read, the different inflections, the different traditions, the different contexts that we see or read in the Scripture. Now, for us as Catholics, one of the things that has kept me Catholic uh, and continues to motivate me and propel me forward in the priesthood is when I read John chapter 6, which we got a little excerpt of today. 
a little excerpt of John chapter 6. But I don't think it gives us the full context, the full weight of what it is. And so what I'd like you to do, the one thing I have for you to do this week, the one thing, you don't have to do anything else, although you probably should go, you know, do the normal things, right? Um, the one thing is to read John chapter 6 in its fullness. Read John chapter 6. It'll only take a few minutes, and you'll hear the, the feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus give the bread of life discourse. And I think sometimes, as Catholics, unfortunately, we, we hear all of Scripture, but we don't always hear the context of it. We don't always hear the full story of it. And every single time, I remember the first time that I read John chapter 6, and I was actually open to it, and I was in college, I was just like, oh, how, is this, how is this real? I mean, Jesus, it made me feel very uncomfortable. Because Jesus is very clear without a doubt, that he wants us to eat his flesh. He wants us to drink his blood. And that should make us feel very uncomfortable. It made the Jewish people that were there with him feel very uncomfortable. They quarreled among themselves. And they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, his blood to drink, right? It doesn't make any sense. And they quarreled among themselves. And Jesus at that point could have said, hey, no, 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 relax. Like, it's just a symbol. I'm just giving you a symbol. Yeah, it's real, but, it, but it's just a symbol. But instead, he doubles down, and he in fact loses most of his disciples. Most of his disciples walk away from him because of his teaching about the body and blood, the body and blood that he's going to give. Now, in the context, we don't exactly know how he's going to do that right now. I'm thankful that the apostles didn't say, okay, Jesus, and start biting into his arm, right? Uh, which, which, as clear as Jesus is in the context, should have been what they did. Because he's pretty clear. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Thankfully, they waited until he instituted the Eucharist, which was a full participation, is a full participation in the sacrifice of Christ, and is the real presence that Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, that it is creative and that it is real. And that's why we believe in the Eucharist. That's why as Catholics, we take the special devotion that we do to the Eucharist. We continue to hold. And for 1,500 years of the church, that wasn't ever questioned. For 1,500 years, it was always the body and blood of Christ. This feast was instituted in the 1200s, right? It wasn't until the Protestant Reformation that this, this teaching started to be doubted and questioned and explained away in different ways. We as Catholics continue to hold to that tradition. That tradition that was so clear in the early church that St. Paul could make a rhetorical question about it, right? And that we ourselves continue to celebrate today. This great gift that Jesus wants to give us so that we might be able to live with him, to participate with him in his sacrifice, to be made one with him physically and spiritually. Now the Eucharist isn't magic. 
I just want to, it's important for us to preface that. It it doesn't, uh, it's not just the physical reception of the Eucharist that gives us Jesus. The physical reception is a physical reception of Jesus, but we can block it spiritually. Okay? And I think that's what a majority of Catholics, right? If we don't believe in the Eucharist and we receive it, we're blocking God's work. Because He's not going to force Himself upon us, right? It's not magic. It doesn't work without our will being united, right? It doesn't work contrary to our will. We have to open ourselves even a little bit that this is Jesus. And in that, amazing things happen. How do we prepare ourselves? Well, we say, I believe, right? Amen. I believe that this is the body of Christ. When it comes up and says the body of Christ, you say, Amen. I believe, right? It's also to prepare your heart before you come. Do you come with a clean heart, right? Having gone to confession, having put away those things that keep you from God. Confession is incredible for opening up the, the grace of the Eucharist. Do we do that? Do we come to prepare ourselves desiring the Eucharist? That also opens us up to the great grace and the participation in that. Um, I hope especially that last one we've had a great opportunity during this COVID time to grow in a desire for the Eucharist, a desire for Jesus Christ and this great gift that he gives us. Now, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. The Mass is the source and summit of our faith, which is where we get the Eucharist. The Eucharist, whenever we receive it, is never separated completely from the Mass because the Mass is that full participation. And so, invite us to continue to dive deeper into this great gift that God gives us, that Jesus gives us. And I'd like you to specifically just hone in a little bit more in terms of what you understand about the Eucharist, what we understand the Church teaches on the Eucharist, and what Jesus has given us in the Eucharist by just reading John chapter 6. Again, if there's one thing that you do this week, read John chapter 6. And I guarantee that it will be fruitful. And I hope if you read it correctly, I I shouldn't say correctly, if you read it with open eyes, and not just blah, 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 I've heard this before, yeah, 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 okay, and then Jesus says this, and kind of skim over it, if you read it with open eyes, it should make you uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable. Because the teaching is difficult. The belief is hard to fathom. And most of his disciples leave. Will we also leave as well? Or do we come here trusting in Jesus, trusting in what he said, trusting in what he gives us, and open to the great grace that he wants to give us in the Eucharist.